My name is Jim Reeks, uh, only person you know whose name is a complete sentence. <laughs> and I studied music for most of my life. And that led me to wanting to install a computer into my studio as a compositional tool for writing music. And that's basically how I ended up getting into technology. Okay, that's a good path. In Germany, when you study music, you have like a main instrument. Did you have any main instrument when you studied music? Uh, piano. I played piano since I was eight years old. Okay. And then uh, after after I learned music, because I was studying composition and, and uh, um, you know writing music as much as anything else. And after I understood music theory, it was easy for me to um, grab onto any other instrument. So it was just a matter of uh, learning the physical skill to play a guitar. Yes. Um, because I already knew, you know. <clears throat> what music was, chords, you know, I could read music. Um, I even tried to play sax for a while. Yes. Well, it's the, I have, I have a little bit the same background. I studied violin, so I studied music too. So my background is I'm a professional musician. And as a violin player, not with a piano background, it's really hard to, to start with other instruments because you're such a nerd when you're playing the violin it's a very horizontal instrument it's right. it's, a, it's a melody instrument right. and of course i had to study the piano too but i sucked i have to be honest yeah. <laughs> and that's that's why in germany a lot of music schools they don't allow you to start with the violin they want you to learn the piano first because right. you need you need that uh, that bass yeah that harmonic bass in order to to achieve on a, on such yeah, a no, complicated what you instrument. said is exactly what you said is exactly right a solo instrument like uh, violin or other instruments like that they're they're horizontal in a sense that yes. it's basically one note at a time and it's a horizontal um, um, thinking it is or piano was vertical as yes. much as anything else and you had to use both hands you even read two staffs at the same time there's very much a, a cognitive effort of thinking vertically yes because it's it's also because you're using both sides of the brain um well violin is, is very right-sided so yeah let's let's go to the key to the key uh, reason we're here so we we have basically these these two questions what is design of sound and what is sound of design what is like the first thoughts or what are the first thoughts you you have in mind when you think about that um so as as an example when i was creating the the max startup sound i approached it exactly like i would if i was composing a piece of music i thought about who's the audience what's the environment What is my instruments? What is the emotion I'm trying to convey? Right? I'm thinking about all of that. Yes. Now, even though in this particular case, this, this sound is, you know, what, two and a half seconds, it's actually harder, in a sense, to convey a complete meaning in just, you know, a couple of seconds. And it was also, The consideration of how this sound would be heard a lot 
like in a piece of music, you know, you hear it once in a while. If you're a big fan of that song, maybe you heard it a hundred times, right? Yes. This kind of sound, you're literally hearing it thousands of times. And so then there's another aspect of how, how do you avoid making it um, becoming stupid and annoying? So I thought about all of these parameters, these, these constraints as I was designing the sound. Um, and then you get into not just what, what is that sound, but how does it sound? Um, like what is the instrumentation of it or the orchestration of it? Um, what's, what's the textural and, and, the, and the timbres to use as well? And of course, also, what is the what is the speaker? I mean, yeah, yeah. you always that's what that. I meant by you have to figure out what's the environment. Yes, what's the environment where the user is going to be hearing this sound? So, you know, in the case of the startup sound, it there was a real possibility that somebody was using their Macintosh in a studio and had it connected, like in a case of Pro Tools or, or uh, Logic or something like this, um, that they had it connected to a really good audio system, yes. you know, a good set of either um, studio monitors or even headphones, right? And this sound would be heard then and at, at, at that uh, uh, that type of a system, playback system. But then also it could be some really crappy uh, laptop with these tiny little Pezio speakers that have a really hard time producing any kind of bottom end. There's psychoacoustics where you can... Um, convey lower pitches because the brain will fill it in mm. when they hear the upper partials. Mm -hmm. Yes, you understand. And I think in that time, from when is the sound? From, from 90, 91? Yeah, know. it was about 90, yes. 91, something yes. like that. What, what other sounds did you do after the chime? There was a whole um, selection of sounds that I did all at the same time. Like, for example, um, I recorded my camera to play back as you took a screenshot. So if you're on the Mac and you want to capture the screen, you hit a couple of magical keys and it would take a uh, JPEG image of the screen, right? A screenshot. Yes. But um, it, it didn't do anything other than... Um, It, you know, it would save a file, but how did you know it did it? And where, you know, you have to go find that file. And like, but there was no feedback that it actually did what you asked it to do. Yes. So I added the audio there as just a, a design element. Um, it needed to be in the UI so that the user actually recognized that it worked. It, it did what you tried to do, what you asked it to do. Um, and then it was just an obvious thing, like, It's a camera, right? Like it would be a camera sound. What else? What other sound would you make, right? <laughs> so I added that sound, and there was a number of others. You know, beep sounds, a um, little bit of sprinkling of audio throughout the interface. Yes. Okay, but uh, that's uh, that's a very good point. I mean, often it's the most obvious sound you have to design in order to get the right confirmation or the right uh, reaction. And I think yeah, back to the who's the audience question. Yes. Uh, in the case of a screenshot, the what's what would be the sound that everyone would recognize as I 
took a picture of my screen camera. It's a shutter. Right? Everyone, yes. everyone would recognize that. Hmm. But I can give you an example of um, how that can go wrong. So at the time, there was no digital cameras quite yet. Um, although it's kind of curious as a side note, yeah. as digital cameras were coming out, they're not mechanical, right? Yes. Um, the digital cameras at the time were also trying to play a sound to let you know that you took the picture. And I remember I had this old Minolta camera and it had like three or five different um, sounds that you could use. And none of them were just a classic camera sound. They were all like beeps, you know, beeps. And it was, it was all like craft work or some goofy thing. It was like so strange. I thought it was just so strange. But anyway, after I did the camera sound, I had other engineers, and this is a kind of a classic example of how engineers think. They all said it, it should be a power winder. There should be a power winder on your camera because that's what, you know, real cameras are like. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense. Not that many people would recognize a power winder. Maybe the photographers, Yes, but not everybody. <clears throat> and uh, I told him, like, no, it should not be a power winder. It should be something recognizable. Um, so they ended up trying it with the power winder and they tested it. And it turned out no one, no one, no, none of the users recognized what that was. So it went back to, you know, my old Canon camera. <laughs> That's, yeah, I think, I think also. Bad sound design leads to people are turning off sound, actually. Exactly. That yes. was exactly right. That was the uh, annoying sounds. Yes. Um, I call that problem poisoning the well, <laughs> where if you are not careful, you can basically ruin it forever because you can't get um, good sounds being added to the user interface because somebody did it badly and everyone's afraid to do it badly again. Hmm. So you, you, you already basically um, answered the question, what is good sound design? But I, I can, I can ask it to you again in specific. What, what is good sound design to you? Well, I'll, I'll rephrase your question to be more, a little more general. What is good design? Yes. Right. Good design becomes invisible. If you, if you notice the design, it's probably not that good and it will probably become um, annoying at worst or just boring, trite. Yes, and, it will, time, and right? it will trendy. vanish, yes. Yeah, it could become trendy. I mean, like everybody could remember There are, there are photographs in high school. It it looks awful. <laughs> That's true. Right? Yeah. Because yes. at that point in our lives, we just didn't have that much sophistication. And we were just kind of doing the trendy thing. And we looked totally normal, I guess you could say, at that time. But that was not good design. Well, it, it, it comes in waves again. I can see it now with my daughters. Now they're wearing uh, the clothes of the 90s and they think it's good. 
<laughs> but 10 years ago we thought oh it's horrible design so it's uh, well design comes back in waves but i think that's that's more like a it's not because it's good design, it's because it's good marketing, because they try and to... Yeah, it, it's, they, there, there's all kinds of reasons why that could happen. Yes. Um, all not about design, but it, it's trendy, it was popular, it's based upon my memories. Um, I saw a whole lot of other people doing that, and I want to be like them, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's not good design, because I think of design as becoming invisible, now, unfortunately, that's also why we don't appreciate good design, because it's hard to recognize. <clears throat> that's a very good point. I mean, I, I thought when I prepared for this, I thought also, why is a violin designed as it is? I mean, right. of, of course, it's, it's, it's physics. Of course, because they found out, okay, when I shape the body of the violin this way, it will sound. But then there is also, it's just practical, because you need these small, I don't know what it is in English, basically yeah, yeah, yeah. because you need to use your bow. You need that angle to have space for the bow. Right. That's Well, and that's a, a very good uh, point for, or not point, or example for that sound follows function or design follows function because the yes. violin would just not be you you couldn't you could not use it if it wouldn't be designed like that in that shape yeah and that's that's something that's that's another good aspect of um well-designed products or or, or items uh, it was something that became very apparent to me actually while i was staying in germany I noticed how Germans were very practical. They didn't care for a design that Americans might think of as cool or hip. The Germans were very practical about it. If it didn't actually have a purpose or a function, it was just useless. There was no reason for it. And uh, an example of that was I always changed my computer's desktop background. You know, the Mac ships with all kinds of big fancy ones. And uh, I never used any of those. I always would customize it. And so I have a really interesting abstract background pat pattern on online. And it's all gray, too, because I'm, I'm a, a photographer and I don't want to be affected by the colors. So anyway, I always changed my desktop background. And in Germany, I noticed all the people never changed their screens. <laughs> and I was, I was asking them, that's kind of odd. Why don't you ever... They're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good question, right? Because, like, they're, they're, like, what purpose does that solve? You know, <laughs> what was the purpose of that? You know, and it was like one of those very practical. Unless it has a function, the the Germans that I were running into, they just didn't get it. They're like, why? Yes. So I think design over time can evolve. And um, just like in your violin example, the violin developed. I mean, it, it didn't show up the first time looking like the way it does today. Yes. Right. It went through different changes in shape and size and materials. And, and uh, you know, what do we make the bows out of? What do we make the strings out of? How do we do the, the tuning system? Um, the, the, all this and that. It developed over time. Yes. And um, 
back to good design is invisible and people don't appreciate it because they can't recognize it. Too many people will show up and say, oh, I can improve on that. Not appreciating how it has evolved into being the way it is. Yes. Well, I mean, that's that happens a lot, but sometimes a fresh look helps. Like it can, it can, but it's rare, and only if it's done with from the eyes of somebody skilled in design. Yes, that's totally. But true. all too often, especially engineers who are usually pretty terrible at design, it's the classic um, "not invented here" and reinventing the wheel type of a problem. Mm -hmm. Right? They always think they can do it better. You know, yeah. there's a, a, a joke about engineers, the, the classic question of, um, is the glass half empty or half full? To the engineer, it's twice too big. <laughs> okay, that's a good perspective. Hmm. Well, how important is for you sound in design when you think about somebody designs something and has to take sound um, parameters in account into account. <laughs> well, my approach is it's it's just like music. Um, sound design is is in the realm, you know, is the is the task of a composer. Just as a composer would have to write a piece of music, the sound designer goes through that same function. Although the outcome of sound design tends to be um, one particular sound, and it, it could be something very short in, this, in the sense of um, adding some kind of audio to the user interface. But sound design can also be something like, we were talking about violins, for example. Um, with synthesizers and electronics today, we can create electronic instruments. Yes. And so sound design could also become creating a new instrument, right? So just to make up a silly example, um, I could take the, the sound of a violin strings being bowed, but maybe I change it so that I have to blow through a mouthpiece to perform with it. And then I continue on where I can, like on a French horn, I can, you know, put my fist inside of it and change the sound coming out of it and, yes. and so on, right? And, and there I'm only talking about um, mixing hybrid traditional instruments to create a new kind of instrument. But in sound design of creating new instruments, I can do something completely unheard of and alien. Mm -hmm. So I had mentioned Kraftwerk previously, or one of my favorite electronic bands, um, Tangerine Dream. I was very much into the early German electronic music. Okay. And when you would listen to them, I loved hearing these sounds that I've never heard of before they created something that you had never heard of. And back to, you know, good, good design. It can also be 
creating an instrument, not just, you know, a sound mm -hmm. to use like in a, 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 a user experience, uh, microwaves, beep, you know, mm -hmm. all those kind of things. Um, your phones, like my phone over here, I got a couple of text messages and then, you know, it's making a bleep sound. <laughs> um, that kind of sound design, but then also you could create instruments, you know, like we, we were talking about, you know, the design of, an, of a violin. It evolves over, you know, a few centuries. Yes. Um, a, probably a lot of trial and error. I don't know that the first person that ever came up with a violin knew exactly what they were doing. Then you get into cases of like the Stradivarius, like did that guy actually know what he was doing at the time? I think, well, he, I think he was, um, I, I of course he was a master in building violins, but he was also lucky because he exactly, had to, exactly. That's, he, that's what I'm getting at. He stumbled onto something. He stumbled onto something and they, they tried to, well, now they're very close to like reproducing it. reproducing it because I think it's now two, three years ago, or let it be four or five, they found out um, actually that it was a like a sponge mushroom. I don't know if that is the right word, but the, these trees he was using, they were um, they were like they had these mushrooms inside, which which led to microscopic holes in the tree, mm. which led to the specific sound of this um, of these instruments. And uh, now they can, in the laboratory, they can like let these mushrooms grow, like in in a in a close environment, and they can reproduce that that uh, that right. material. Actually, I mean that's that's what. Is every bow builder or violin builder is absolutely dependent on that he has good material. It's it's really hard. I mean, their their like their precious is the raw material they have in their right. uh, bag. And uh, well, that's um, well. He and some others, of course, they were very talented and they tried a lot, but they were also lucky. But I think sometimes back to how I use the word evolution. I think a lot of times, you know, I don't want to confuse what is good design with these evolutionary aspects, mm -hmm. you know, or, or the chance event, you know, the happy accident mm -hmm. that can occur. But just like in, uh, a Darwin sort of way of the evolution of the species, you know, what survives. There's, mm -hmm. there's sometimes that in, in something that's, um, uh, has a lot of time or, or history to it, like in, in the case of a violin, mm -hmm. but what back to your, back to your question, what is good design? I think good design starts with, being very clear about what is the problem. I think too many times people jump to um, making something because they think it's cool or they think it's interesting or, you know, but what, back to uh, being practical, but what is the problem? And how can I solve that problem mm -hmm. ele elegantly? Mm -hmm. and 
most of all, is there an audience for that solution? It may be something interesting for like one weirdo. <laughs> yes. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a good design. So I think there's an aspect of how successful that design is mm -hmm. by how, how well it's accepted and adopted by many others, which I gets back to my point of you need to be very clear about what is the problem. Mm -hmm. Ask the right questions before you try to answer them. That's refine, a, that's refine the questions. Einstein mm -hmm. has a quote where he said, if I had just an hour to save the world, I would spend the first 55 minutes trying to understand the problem. <laughs> yes. And then once you understand the problem well enough, the answer becomes quite obvious. But too many people will approach this in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And this is my point about what is design. The wrong way would be jumping to trying solving it. I call it jumping to solutions without clearly understanding the problem. So it's basically asking the right question. Yes. Yeah. Asking yeah. the right questions and, and spend a lot of time refining the questions. Why do I need that? Well, why is that a problem? And if, if I solve that, then what would happen? You know, spend a lot of time in the inquiry of attempting to understand everything about that problem. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the design comes about in an in a almost obvious way. Because you almost get to a point where you're like, well, there's no other way to solve this. Yes. And that ends up appearing elegant. And it's one of these obvious solutions. Except we spent so much time working through what is the problem. Mm-hmm. Right, but that's good design because it almost just it becomes invisible and it seemed obvious. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was not obvious. It took a lot of work to get there. That's that's so true. And there's um, and that's why designers have a big responsibility. We we recently we had a discussion about what is sound design of the future, and. Uh, Well, the prediction of, of our boss is that, like, in 10 years, a lot of commercial music will be produced by artificial intelligence. So, there will sit people and they will let computers running, but the computers will basically compose the music. Yeah, so, machine learning is getting really good. And, yeah. you know, you once you train it, because it, it goes through a training process. Yes. And uh, that training process is done by humans yes. and humans keep training it to get the answer that they want. Mm -hmm. Now, there's nothing creative about these machine learning models. No, that's true. And that, that led us to what will be like the noise of cities in the future. I mean, now it's still full of cars, but it will change. There will be more and more electrified cars. So there will be not less noise, actually. Let's say we have electric cars and they don't make a sound. 
there's actually some new problems, getting back to understanding the problem. There's some new problems with a car that doesn't make a sound. It's quite dangerous. It's because safety. when we hear a car, we understand <clears throat> there's a car. That thing can hit you and you're dead, right? And so we, by losing the sound, we don't yet appreciate what could happen, what could go wrong with this. That gets back to my point about having to understand the problem. So I was goofing around and just mentally thinking about this problem. Like, so if I had a car that was electric and doesn't make a sound, that's kind of a problem. It should make a sound. Yes. What sound would it make? What sound should a car that makes no sound, what sound should it make? Well, of course, I could simulate an, elect an actual combustion engine, but I have the freedom to do anything. What if I made my electric car sound like a steam engine or the Star Trek Enterprise? Well, that's that's actually funny because in, in Europe we have we have rules that define the acceleration from zero to 20 kilometers per hour. And um, there is actually a sound defined for that. Like it has to, to follow in aesthetics these rules. And uh, when you watch the film, the movie Blade Runner from 1982, it's exactly the sound the flying cars do like 40 years ago. So yeah. that Blade, Blade Runner was um, a movie that is amazing in its design. Yes. At every level of that film. Yes. The story, the uh, the visuals, the music is unbelievably great. Mm -hmm. That's true. And um, the sound effects that are in that film, that film is an amazing example of a well-designed film. It's a milestone. At every and, level. Yes, yes. And uh, it's funny because it, it, there, it's that's one example, but you can see various examples of how science fiction influence the sound design of, of today it's, right. uh, yes but uh, well the, about that uh, responsibility we have you have to really think that through how these cars should be designed sound wise because that will be like the pollution <laughs> sound pollution of the cities and it has to be very well designed oh. it, it's it's a it's another classic example of uh, the problem with of good design being invisible, mm -hmm. we don't appreciate the problem until we take away that solution. So a car, not by design, but a car makes a sound, you know, internal combustion engine, it makes a sound. Yes. Um, not by design necessarily, although we modify it, like we put mufflers and we try to make it quiet and all this and that. but. If that sound went away, we have a new problem. And yes. people don't recognize that new problem and, and have not yet predicted it because they're not thinking like that. That's back to you have to understand the problem. Mm -hmm. um, a car has many problems to think about. And so if you take away the sound, there are these new problems to solve, like it becomes more dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, also, if 
I'm revving my um, traditional car's engine I, without even looking at the RPM gauge, I can tell just by the sound where I'm at. And I know, you know, the red line, you know, I can't go above 6,000 RPMs or whatever it is for whatever car. I, I understand that. Um, motorcycles, you know, there's different kinds of motorcycles. <clears throat> Some motorcycles can rev up to like 12,000 RPM, mm -hmm. but I hear it. And I'll know if I'm making the sound that puts it into damaging areas. That's, it's actually funny. I took part in a study about that, about how musicians drive cars. And the, the result of the study was actually that musicians are better drivers, technically, because they listen to the car they can hear or they, they, they feel it physically also with the vibration when they are in a too low gear or when they should shift to the, to the right. next gear. So right. they are basically using their car better because they are listening. That was a, yeah, 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 very exactly. interesting. This, 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 is, this is the thing <clears throat> I'm getting at. Understand the problem. Mm -hmm. If a car doesn't make a sound, I have a lot of new problems. Uh, if I'm... Um, bogging the engine down by being in the wrong gear i'm too high of a gear or i'm starting to go up a hill i need to downshift and mm -hmm. i'll i don't need to look at the rpm gauge mm -hmm. to know this i'll know it simply by the sound mm -hmm. and what if the car doesn't make a sound how do i know these things mm -hmm. you can't you can't I, know I, it it could the car could be um in the wrong gear if if electric cars end up having gears that we would have to worry about. Um, but it's all back to what is the problem? Electric cars present new problems. And one of them, strangely, is they don't make a sound. Mm -hmm. It's a problem. It's totally true. I was living in Norway, in Bergen, the last couple of years, and they have very high quote of electric cars. And when you are a cyclist, as I am in, in the cities, it's really dangerous because you have... And, and that's actually, that's, I, that's why I started thinking about this. Um, a car that makes no sound going down the road is dangerous to the other people. Like totally. bicyclists, uh, pa you know, passengers, not pa uh, uh, pedestrians. Um, it becomes dangerous to them because we're so used to recognizing a car's presence by the sound that it makes. Yes. We take this for granted. <clears throat> you got to think about that. If, if that car is no longer making a sound, there is a new danger. Mm -hmm. There's a new threat. Definitely. And what kind of a sound then should it make? Especially, especially like in the in the range of uh, zero to thirty kilometers per hour, where it's most or to fifty. I'm talking in kilometers per hour. What is that? Zero to I don't know, one point six. Zero to thirty miles per hour is maybe the the most dangerous um, like speed where it should make sound because I think above that the 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 sound of the wind is is much higher than the sound you could produce right. with uh, with the engine and it's well it's, if, I, if i'm uh, traveling down the autobahn mm -hmm. 
whether or not my car is making a sound. I don't think there's that much danger to anyone. No, no, <laughs> right? it's 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 just in the cities. That's uh, yeah, yeah it, exactly. That's, yes, that's that. Well, same thing. Uh, most accidents happen within a couple of miles of your house. Yes. And it, it mostly, well, like with pedestrians, it's mostly children. And children are so much trained and used to, like, um, that they're used to follow the sound, follow, follow the direction. It's, uh, yes, that will be huge problems to solve. Well, it's also, that's another interesting aspect of uh, uh, the problem, how we take it for granted back to, you know, good design is invisible, but um, some <clears> things <throat> like the sound of a car, we take it for granted. Mm -hmm. We just, we don't think about that. Uh, cars always make sounds. And so we always just subconsciously mm -hmm. know the sound of a car means car. And a car can mean threat mm -hmm. for pedestrians, bicyclists, etc. Um, but again, what happens if the car doesn't make a sound? It's dangerous. It will not say, here comes a car. No, that's the problem to solve. And, and it's important to say, here comes a car. Mm -hmm. It is, definitely. Yes. Well, good thing is there is jobs for us <laughs> to, to design the sounds. Yes, we will see where this goes. Also, well, there are also other problems. It's not just cars. Now there are more and more um, accidents with uh, scooters and those uh, and the pedestrians. Right. Yeah, once we go electric, um, yes. electric motorcycles, for example, same exact problem. Mm -hmm. Electric motorcycles are very quiet. Mm -hmm. Only two wheels, right? Yes. It's a very quiet vehicle. And... Uh, same kind of a thing. Like normally if you hear like a Harley Davidson, it's clearly got a very particular <laughs> loud sound. And, you know, that sound alone will convey danger, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of the fondness of, of hearing a Harley Davidson because that sound symbolizes danger. Mm -hmm. But what happens if it doesn't make a sound? It, you know, it, not only does it not um, um, warn of its threat, it's also just not that fun and interesting anymore. <laughs> I, I think Harley Davidson has a, has a big problem there because they have to go with like um, the uh, development that um, they have to produce engines that don't produce that much pollution. So they have to electrify their their vehicles, but then nobody would buy it because why do you buy an Harley Davidson? Because it sounds nice. <laughs> and that's a that's a another temporary trendy kind of a thing. So fast forward a couple of generations from now, all the vehicles are electric. They all don't particularly make a sound. Hmm. If you showed up riding a Harley Davidson, they would be like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" That's <laughs> true. Yes, they'd be like, "What that? What kind of? Why would you make that much noise?" <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. It's it's a, that whole appreciation of the sound is transitory. Well, of course. I mean, Ferrari or all these uh, these uh, companies—they have sound designers just to develop 
this sound, just that yeah. they sound nice. And then when you're in a tunnel and you have a Porsche or a Ferrari next to you, he will just throttle in order to make that sound. I'm, yeah. Of course, it's fun. And of and I can't completely understand them. I was I was driving that cars too, and it's amazing, definitely. Yeah, well, you see, when uh, people in these vehicles um, pull up to the stop sign and they rev their motors, <laughs> why would they do that? Yeah. To hear the sound. Because they can. <laughs> yeah, to hear the sound. If it didn't make a sound, would you rev the motor? No, of course not. Right. No, never. <laughs> so imagine, like, you know, maybe the uh, the people a couple of generations from now that have the electric cars, what what would they do at that intersection to make a sound? To advertise, look at me. I have something cool. Pay attention to what I'm doing. You know, how do you show off if your car doesn't make a sound? That's a very good point. Maybe they flash colors. Maybe, well, that, you know, maybe they have all the hydraulics and they start bouncing. <laughs> Ooh, maybe that, that or, or really like that, that you have that, that banish on your car that can change and you can picture on it right. whatever you want, like naked right. women or whatever. You can show, show off with that. Yeah, the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the paint job is like a chameleon. I can change it, mm-hmm. you know, change it at will. And they'll they'll flash crazy colors. I mean, but it's the, would it be a sound anymore? Because like today they rev the engine for what reason? To make a sound. Why? To show off. You see, like this whole sequence of asking questions. What is yes. the problem that you're trying to solve? Well, the problem for revving an engine is to show off. Look at me. Look how special I am. Well, then Don't you want to be like me, right? And so there's this whole ego. Yeah, that's what I just wanted to say. It's uh, the when you go back to the basic problem, it is small ego. <laughs> so. Yeah, look at me, look at me. It is like that. And when I look at the at the dudes in the in those cars, they all look the same. It's uh, it's funny here in 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 the city where I'm living, there are a lot of people from Switzerland, and they're showing off with their cars. They all look the same. It's uh, yes. Yeah, that was uh, that was um, that's kind of an I- ironic thing how people want to express their individuality by appearing like another group. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense. It's right. Like I'm a, I dress up like a goth because I want to express my individuality. By looking like a whole other group. Like, I thought individuality meant that you're different. You're not a member of a group. Well, it's uh, it's it's often mostly they want to, like, well, what's the word for it? They want to offend their parents or their, their sisters rebel. or something. And Re- then, then, well, to rebel, you know, that's, that's, that's the right word. But um, of course, individuality—you can't see much of them. Right. They're all dressing like a group or doing things that other groups do. Okay. Thank you very much, Jim. That was a very nice talk. And uh, then I wish you all the best for your golf swing. 
<laughs> okay, great. Great. Thank you so much. It was a All great right. talk. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.